0: Welcome to Living Out Loud with your host, Jess Phillips, where we talk all things addictions, codependency, relationships, and the good, bad, and ugly in between. Welcome, everyone, to episode four of Living Out Loud with your host, Jess Phillips, and our very special guest today, David Wolf, registered dietitian and sugar addiction coach. Hi, David.
1: Hey. hey. How's it going? It's, uh, it's good. It's going good. It's good to be here with you. Thank you for having me.
0: Really, a pleasure to have you and a pleasure to see you again. It's been a little while.
1: It has. Yeah, yeah. a couple of years.
0: Yeah. So, David, I focused uh I did a solo podcast last week which was pretty scary and kind of put myself sure. out there. Good. Yeah, in terms of just being a little bit more honest about my struggles with food, kind of yo-yo dieting, up and down, and also how that tied into my own recovery from drugs and alcohol. So for my next episode, you're one of the people that just kind of popped into my mind. And I really wanted to be able to highlight what you do, why you do it. So tell us a little bit more about how you became a sugar addiction coach and what that even is.
1: Yeah. So I always start off with this story. Like I would get home from school I'm from New England. Like it's relatively cold in the winter. I'd like have a parka gloves, hat, scarf on. Right. I'd run downstairs with all that stuff. My backpack's still on, like I'm loaded. Right. And I would hit the pantry. I grab like five packs of gummy bears and I'd hide the wrappers. Mm. And you know, why did I do that? Why did I hide things under couches behind filing cabinets? Like what was the deal with that?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Then and then um, my mom got into recovery, oh, I don't know, probably five or, I was five or six or seven, you know? Okay. And um, so she started, you know, I remember her not being home at night because she was at meetings and, you know, I remember my dad doing a lot and I also remember, you know, there were times when, when it wasn't going so well where she was just in the bags and the boxes and mm-hmm. she was grumpy and all that. So I remember kind of like both sides of that, like when things were going well. And and things weren't going well, but I didn't really think too much of it. Right. Um, And then,
0: and when you you say recovery, do you mean recovery from food? Was that what your mom? Yeah. Yeah. My
1: mom's just a a primary food addict. She doesn't have any other substance history, so yeah, it was just food addiction um, all the way. And I think it worked as a kid and it worked as an adult. So she didn't need to find any other, um, you know, mechanisms. Yeah. Um. So eventually, I think. I started to realize that I had these patterns where people would like, I went to my, my dear friend, Noah's house as a kid, we went to the same temple. So then I would go to his house after and I would be eating at his house. And his mom would be like, Dave, it's the weirdest thing. All you eat are brown foods. And I'd be (laughs) like, "Hmm, yeah, that is weird. You know? And uh, like crackers and bread and apple juice. And, and, and so, so people started to notice. And I was just like, Oh, huh, that is kind of strange, but yeah. I would just kind of like blow it off, come up with other some sort of lie to cover it up or, you know, cover over my tracks. So, I never really got really far in terms of figuring out what my problem was. Right. Until much later after I was actually already helping people, um, I was, I had finished my dietetic training. I had, um, I was taking it, the in fact course, which is the international food addiction counselor training program. And so I had an intake appointment with this woman named Esther Helga, Goodmunster She's, she's from Iceland and she runs the In Fact program. Okay. And so she did an intake on me and she's like, I answer some questions, whatever. I do a 30 minute session with her. She's like, I think you're an early stage food addict. Wow. It's like, yeah, you're probably right. You know, like there was like mom's a food addict, sister's a food addict. Look at my, if you like shake my family tree, a bunch of addicts call them out, you know, like it wasn't, <laughs> I had no defense.
0: Right. It was
1: just like, yeah. All right. And it, it didn't like all of a sudden I was like fully engaged in recovery, but it started, you know, it started to escalate things and things started clicking in my mind and be like, Oh yeah, I do do this. As soon as the first thing I get home from work, I like, I hit the pantry. It's just like, so can crap. you tell
0: us for any, anybody listening for any of the listeners? So what, what does it look like to be a food addict? Like how would somebody know that they're addicted to a certain type of food or processed food?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it looks really different to a lot of different people. I think that's really important, you know, and, and one of the things we talked about before we started was like that I'm a thin food addict. Yes. So like, what is that about? You know? Yes. Um, and I do, I think addicts come in all shapes and sizes, all colors, all creeds, you know, mm-hmm. we have different belief systems. We have, you know, we just have this one thing in common and that's what, that when we consume certain things, we can't not consume them. Right. right. So um, what does it look like? I mean, I think the thinking is a good sign. Like we keep on going back to the same like thought and, or even though we know it's wrong, we do it anyway. Not that it's wrong, but it's like, it's counterproductive um, for an addict to use, to use whatever substance they use, drugs, alcohol, like it's, it doesn't necessarily align with their goals, but they keep on going back to do, do it over and over again, um, regardless Mm -hmm. of consequence. Like they want to stop, but they can't. Right. So I think that's one of the ways I, I like to define addiction. Like, um, do you do you want to stop, but you can't stop. Right. Your inertia is to stop using drugs, alcohol, food, but you keep finding yourself using drugs, alcohol, and food. Right. And so, and then you, that kind of ties in with using against your will. Whereas, like, yeah. I don't want to be doing the things that I'm doing, but I can't stop myself from doing them. Yeah. So I think that, like, those sort of behaviors tie around food. Yeah. Um, for me, I would like go on vacation and plan a whole trip based around restaurants. Interesting. You know, like,
0: Tell us more yeah. about that. What does that look like? like
1: I like, went to Nashville, you know, when I was like in college and it was like, I like did all the research. I found out all the places like I had to eat to like get the full experience. Like, right. and so like everything on that trip was oriented around my addiction. Right. So just like people go to Kentucky and do the bourbon trail. Like
0: yeah, <laughs> I went yeah. to
1: Nashville and did the fried chicken trail. You know what right. I mean? So I think, I think it, it just, it broke into all these different areas of my life. Yeah. My hobbies, Yeah, my desires, my degree in culinary arts. I'm sure my addiction has something to do with that. Right. So it's all, it all ties in. And now it's just that I'm on the other side of the coin. I work in the recovery space. So
0: right. Right. Um, So you hear a lot of the terms like, you know, foodie or food lover, or how, how are you able to decipher the difference maybe for you personally, if you're just a food lover, because I've started to kind of explore, I mean, for my own personal gain and also professionally, but really explore different opinions from different people. So Some people say, you know, food addiction does not exist. There's no way moderation is the key. And then you have these certain folks trying to moderate, including myself. And I can Mm -hmm. totally relate. Like when you say, you know, ice cream, for example, like I, I've gone to the store in the past with a voice that's telling me do not buy this ice cream, do not go, do not go. And then I'm at the cash buying the ice cream, coming home, eating the ice cream, feeling the guilt, feeling the shame. So. How do you differentiate a foodie to a food addict?
1: I think a lot of it comes down to motives. Okay. You know, I, and it's a really hard question to answer. Cause I think like you'll hear terms chocoholic, you know, yeah. like, yeah. Um, and there are also people that use terminology. Like they use the term sugar addiction or food addiction, but they definitely like don't mean what I mean.
0: Okay. What do you mean you by know, that? They don't,
1: I mean they'll say things like, yeah, yeah. I used to be a food addict. And I always say like, dot, 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 question mark used to like, what does that even mean? Right. Um, cause I feel like I'm an addict. I just have to be an addict in recovery, but that's right. besides the point, like my operating system is I'm an addict. Right. So like I solve problems, <laughs> like an addict I'm impulsive, like an addict, Right. you know, I, um, I switch behaviors like an addict. We talk a lot about like addiction or interaction disorder. So like, if you're like always needing something like new, bright, shiny, you always need that like dopamine hit. You always need that, like that new exciting thing. I think that really relates. Um, I kind of lost my thread. What was the initial question?
0: So I was saying like, how do you, how do you decipher? Or how would somebody listening, you know, somebody listening, like I have a lot, especially a lot of girlfriends that call me and they're like, Oh, like, I binged this weekend or, you know, I, I ate clean all week and then I ruined it this weekend. So, you know, for me and, and I've been very vocal about it. I don't, I don't drink alcohol and I don't do drugs anymore. So I'm in recovery from substance abuse. So it was very easy for me to recognize the same behaviors with food in sobriety. But let's say for somebody who's not in sobriety, how do they know how to be able to tell whether their sugar consumption or their carbohydrate consumption is out of control?
1: I think one really cool thing is like just set an alarm on your phone. Okay. for like for some obscure amount of time, like 58 minutes. Okay. Set a timer every 58 minutes, this thing dings. Write down what's on your mind. Just, hmm. just if it dings, take out the like a little steno pad from your pocket and be like, okay, taking an inventory of in my mind. You'll find you'll find that food might be there more often than you really think. Wow. You know, I okay. think that's like one kind of approach. The other, I think the other approach is like it's the old the old like Joe and Charlie kind of concept. And Joe and Charlie were big in the uh, in the Alcoholics Anonymous movement, and they kind of went around the country giving given talks about the big book. And they said, like, can you stop? Can you stay stopped? Right. You know, and I think those are two very different questions. Right. Like I've seen quotes, like I've quit smoking. I've done it a thousand times. Yeah. Right. So yeah. what does that imply? Yeah. Uh, that you didn't quit for long. Yeah. You know, and so and then the other thing is, you know, we, we talk about cravings. And it's like, do you identify with cravings? Do cravings haunt you? Right. Yeah. And and then you can distinguish the difference between cravings and withdrawal, right? Because it feels like cravings when you're in withdrawal, but they're not really cravings. It's just, it's biochemical withdrawal.
0: Right. So
1: I think the food kind of plays into um, what I call neurochemical warfare, right? It's like the dopamine ups and the downs, the up regulation, the down regulation, which is just a bunch of scientific jargon to explain that basically we're flooding our brain with dopamine when we take the substance. And then as the substance diminishes in our system, it, our dopamine crashes Yeah, and our body has defense mechanisms put in place to keep that from happening. Yeah. And it ends up manifesting in cravings as that process or what feels like cravings, which is really withdrawal Right. Um, during. And so I think if you associate that, like with, if you eat X at X time, do you need, a certain something by a certain time of day. Yeah. yeah. Does what you have for dinner influence the way you feel and interact with others or not interact with others? So what I, do think, you mean I think by that? Like, so I think that addiction is um, isolating and alienating. So right. like, depending on what I eat, would I be less likely to want to like go do things with friends or be around certain people or would I mm-hmm. want to be more antisocial yeah. and just kind of be alone and isolate? Yeah. So I think I think the drug, which in this case for me is food, yeah, um, among other things, (laughs) but you know that diminished my capacity to be a human being, right? right? To make decisions that would benefit you know me and my purpose of life. Yeah, took that stuff away.
0: Yeah, and I don't think a lot of people put those pieces together. Like I don't think a lot of people would assume that what they're eating. Causes isolation. You know, I remember talking to a friend about how what I was eating was directly affecting my mood. And she was like, How is that even possible? And I was like, Oh, it's very possible. I'll feel cranky the next day if I've eaten junk, tired, exactly like you said. I'll want to isolate. So for me, it really goes hand in hand because I can feel the difference when I'm eating certain foods that I don't feel the need to binge on. I feel quite clear and quite present. So Mm. for anybody listening, can you give us a little bit more of your personal history? So what was it like kind of, were you able to identify what was happening with your mom? Did you notice her binges? Did you see what she was eating?
1: Yeah. So I remember, uh, was a restaurant where I grew up called Eddie's pub. Okay. When my mom was on plan, she would get this thing called haddock european
0: okay it was
1: just like a piece of haddock with like baked with like some like sliced peppers and onions and tomatoes on top of it okay. and she would specifically ask for no breadcrumbs okay right because she wasn't eating bread was right. flour
0: right
1: so that's on plan right. okay so judy off plan large veggie pizza okay like a pub pizza, like it was huge. And I knew what would happen if my mom ate that pizza.
0: What would happen?
1: If it's just like all hell would break loose. Everything would become a question mark. Uh, she would, she, she, my mom's like the kind of person you want to call like your internet service provider. Like when there's a problem, like okay. she's like patient. But adamant, insistent, but like kind and calm, like she'll wait it out, you know, okay. she'll get the manager on the phone. Like, no, if my mom's in the food, none of that stuff is possible, right? She's like flying off the handle. She's irritable. She's late. She's tired. She's grumpy. She's angry. Wow. Um, you just don't know what's what's going to come next. Wow. So it's like a big question mark. So as a kid, like a little kid, I associated veggie pizza with a not so present mom who was flying off the handle. Wow. Um, and that was not, that's not what my mom's like when she's clean, like right. not at all. Right. So it was like kind of like a two phase situation. But yeah. I remember going to my father and being like, which she ordered the pizza. We didn't get it yet. I'm like, dad, you know what's going to happen when she eats that pizza? And he's like, yeah, I know, but there's nothing you can do about it. He's like, just don't say peep about it. Just stay out of her way. So wow. like he knew. Wow. So I don't know how old I was, probably like, like less than 10. But, and that was from food, right? And so that's something you would probably associate with hard substance. For sure. Right? Not food, not a flipping piece of pizza.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's what happened to my mom when she ate pizza. And I could see that as a kid.
0: And now, would the pizza, for example, would that kind of trigger a binge for her in the way that she would come home and start eating oh, if pizza? Oh, or... if
1: she ate, if she ate pizza, forget about it. I mean, right. it was yeah, you know, she was off the song. She... The race was on. Yeah, okay. you know, it was. There was no, <laughs> you know, there was no stopping until, you know, right. It would be really good reason to stop. Right. It could be days, weeks, months. Actually. My mom lost her abstinence on a cheese curl. It took her 13 years to get it back.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. And now when you say, ab- when you say abstinence, what does that mean for people who do- don't know? what? That oh, means? yeah,
1: yeah. So first of all, I hate the word abstinence. It sounds so sterile. Yeah. It sounds like so like when it comes to fine. food.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah,
1: yeah. Right. So um, I, you know, usually would prefer the word like clean or something along those lines or um eating for my values. So, you know, what does it mean? It means that I don't, for me, I'll tell you how I define my abstinence. I don't put anything in my body um, that changes the way I feel or I don't put anything on my body that will affect me mentally, physically, or spiritually in a negative way. Wow. So that could be, That could be anything. It could be like a dried apricot. I mean, it could be um, like butter for some people. Like it could be anything. So I think there are generally speaking things that most people struggle with. Right. And so we created this toxic food triangle. And so what it is, is it's grains on one side, sugar on another side and seed oils on the bottom. Okay. So if you think about most processed foods, there's some combination of all those three things. Yeah. Yeah whether it's granola or candy or potato yeah. chips or bread. I mean, generally speaking, it's one, two, or all three of those yeah. elements. Yeah. It pretty much is processed food. I mean, yeah. if you take rid of those three things, there's not a lot of things that are left except no. for real food. Right. So like single ingredient items,
0: <laughs> Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like butter right. or like meat, meat. or like vegetables you know so right um very minimally processed things that generally speaking come from the earth or come from animals so Hmm. um so but i think that we need to define our own what is clean for me yeah because what i eat and for instance what my mom eats are two different things i'm sure i eat differently than you do right? right my recovery has to work for one person yeah me yeah so um and it needs to fit into my life. It needs to be practical. It needs to be pragmatic. My recovery needs to solve the problems my disease creates. That's it. Hmm. That's all it has to do. And so it doesn't have to solve your problems. It doesn't have right. to solve Susie's problems. It has to right. solve Dave's problems. Right. And so my disease speaks to me in a certain way. So my recovery needs to fill all those holes. And I think that starts with the food plan, but that's just the surface. Yeah. That's just like, fill in the potholes. I mean, yeah, there's so much more to this disease. So before
0: you came to realize that processed foods were affecting you physically, mentally, and spiritually, you also had a realization that uh, alcohol and drugs were doing the same for you. Is that correct? Uh,
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I, I traveled overseas and, um, the drinking age of 18 and, that wasn't super helpful.
0: Okay. Um,
1: I don't think that go to back to the beginning of my story in the first grade, I was diagnosed with ADHD. I was on amphetamines for 25 years. Okay. Wow. So I don't believe I was ever addicted to amphetamines, but I had become incredibly dependent on them. Yes. So I had physical dependence on things like Ritalin, Adderall, Concerta, whatever. Yeah. Um, so that's a big part of my story. And, and you, that's another, one of the reasons why I never really probably gained weight. Right. So, so all throughout childhood, I would like have a little bit of breakfast and like maybe a piece of fruit for lunch. And then I wouldn't eat until dinner.
0: Interesting. But then
1: like, I would eat like for three adults for dinner. Okay. Like, like it was nuts. Right. And, and so, and that's just my hunger would come at me like probably because the drugs started to come off.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so I think that's another kind of complication to my story. Yeah. Um, I think, in the scheme of things, it probably prevented my addiction from becoming much, much, much worse. And there may have been a lot of, I may have um, tried other substances and behaviors a lot sooner had I, had I, you know, not been on amphetamines for 20, 25 yeah. years. Yeah. Um, I, I never really had a desire to use them. It abused them. If I ever like took two, it was always like a mistake. It was like I right. forgot that I had already taken it, and then I took it again, and that right. was right, like, right. You know, really wired, and I never really liked feeling that way. Yeah. Um. So it definitely wasn't. I like I never had a desire to take these pills. Right. It was just became, and so when I came off them, um, I learned a that I wasn't addicted to them, but I was really dependent on them. Yeah. Um, and it was like almost a year of hell, honestly. Like
0: yeah.
1: I remember nine or 10 months off drugs. My wife said to me, you were really depressed. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I was, yeah. I had no idea. There was no sense of normalcy. I had an infant at the time and yeah. but still. Um, so that's a big part of my story too. and And a big part of my recovery is staying off that stuff. Right. And I have to do a lot of stuff today in order to stay off of it. Yeah. And how um, old
0: were you when you finally stopped taking the medication?
1: Uh, let's see. 32. 32. So yeah. you had
0: been on it since a small child till 32 years old.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. 25 years. A long yeah. time. It is a long time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's becoming quite common. I've heard multiple friends, clients. Well, they, they,
1: um, it's really interesting because I talked to my doctor before I stopped taking them. Yeah. Or I was in the process of coming off. And of that means like, yeah, um, I think you get your appetite. You know, your appetite will come back. But I don't think, you know, these drugs aren't you don't withdraw from these drugs. And um, you do. <laughs> you do. You definitely do. <laughs> if you're if you're listening to us, you can't see my facial expression. Yeah. But like, <laughs> that was it was like, yeah, physical cramping, irritability, yeah. um, bowel upset, like all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. And so even though I wasn't technically addicted, air quotes, mm-hmm. I was very dependent on the substance wow. um, to function. Yeah. So that kind of ties in, I think, to why I didn't eat during the day, why I ended up eating so much at night. it's not really that I was binging, it was just like I yeah. was reversing the effect that the drugs had on my system. Yeah. Um, but then what, what I ate lots of, I mean, I wasn't even eating on broccoli. Right or like when I didn't take my medication, I would eat like for through grown adults, but it wasn't it wasn't like you know steak and green yeah. beans, you know Chips it was everything. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, with yeah. pantry stuff. Yeah. So again, and then you you go back to that triangle: seed oils, grains, and sugar. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely, hundred yeah. percent.
0: And now, do you think that growing up watching your mom, because I have a lot of questions and I think a lot of people do about... Uh, you know, restriction, all or nothing. You know, you hear a lot of people with different opinions now saying that the more you restrict, the more you're going to binge after. So watching your mom as a kid kind of going on the wagon, off the wagon with food such as processed sugar and flour, do you think that that affected the way that you ate or the way that you viewed nutrition and how it would affect you mentally or physically?
1: I think the main thing that I think my mom actually did a really good job about providing for us based on the information that she had. Yeah. Like, like it was important to her. Cause clearly she was working on that, whether she was on or she was off, you know,
0: yeah. dinner
1: was always like, had some sort of veg or two had like yeah. a salad and a vegetable. It had like some sort of a whole grain. And I right. mean, yeah. Did we have pasta every once in a while? Yeah, of course everyone did, but, right. um, but I think, I think that, I think that her recovery had a lot more of an impact on me than her addiction did.
0: Okay.
1: Um, you know, I eventually ended up working in bariatrics and it was funny. And I just kind of took these patients off of grains and no one told me to do that. Right. Um, and they were like, there's no evidence for this. I was like, well, it seems to be working really well. So, you know, but you know, why, why did I do that? Well, because my mom was at grains t- and she stopped using them and her life got better. Yeah. So
0: what were you I noticing put, with your clients when you took them off of grains?
1: Well, once they went through, that was over. They didn't have to, you know, go through that again. They didn't really have cravings. Um, yeah. They were able to maintain their loss from the yeah. surgery.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> contention on the fact that they maintained that system of eating. Right. Right. And it, I, you know, I have to say this out loud a thousand times, but it's just not about the food. It's not right. But if, if I go, if I let go of that piece of the puzzle, mm. the whole puzzle collapses. Right. So everything in my recovery is contingent on me not taking a drug today. Right. 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 Whatever those substances are for me, but that's not what recovery is. Right. Because largely if you remove every other aspect of recovery and you just have your food plan at best, it's a diet.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Which is exactly what we're not trying to do.
0: Right. And can you get specific about the foods that you are, I won't use the term abstinent from again, but that you are clean from and for how long have you not touched those foods?
1: Yeah. So I gave up alcohol, sugar, grains on the same day. Wow. That was November 17th, 2017. So wow. And a half years ago. So I haven't had any of those things. And so, um, I mean, I, I like occasionally have a couple of pieces of sweet potato, but like, if I eat a sweet potato, I eat the whole sweet potato. Right. Like, and whatever's left in the pan. So right. it's like, it's clear to me that I shouldn't eat it. You know, does it like cause me to go into reset and withdrawal? And no, yeah. it doesn't, yeah. but it's just not meant for Dave. Right. So I don't eat sugar. I don't eat grains. I don't drink. Um, I don't eat anything that's comprised of grains. Um, I mean, like I'm not as sensitive as everyone is. Like I can get away with like eating bacon that has a little bit of sugar in it. Right. Like, that's not going to upset my apple cart. Right. Uh, so I just kind of know where I have to draw my own lines. And I think we all have to learn these things. Yeah. Um, and the only way to learn it is to try yeah. to have the experience of it. So those are the main things I don't eat. I, I really, my diet is pretty much meat, eggs, butter, or animal fat. Right. Uh, occasionally I eat berries. Uh, right. But again, it's like, it's not going to last long. <laughs> you know, they're like one of those things that yeah. I don't know that I'm addicted to them, but like, I certainly don't moderate them well. Um,
0: so would this and, be classified as a ketogenic diet for anybody listening?
1: I think that I, I think keto is confusing because it means a thousand things to a thousand different people. Yeah. So am I likely in ketosis? Yeah. Most likely. Okay. But that's mainly because I can't eat carbohydrates. That's why I do it. Right. I don't do it for any other reason. Right. Um, the other thing I've noticed, which is a little kind of counter to, my, um, my thinking on how to treat food addicts is that on most days I eat one meal a day. Wow. Um, so I'm really anti-fasting and, and like, I'm not for it. I think fasting is another outlet for addiction. Okay. Um, and I'll talk about addiction interaction disorder of next, because I think it's really important that we understand this. Yeah. But so I eat one meal a day because it's the only thing in the world that treats my ADHD other than the meds.
0: Okay, if tell, I don't tell eat, me more about
1: that. If I don't eat during my workday, my mm-hmm. focus is perfect. Wow. As soon as I eat, I tell them if something happens, I release insulin or something, and I, I just can't focus the same way. Interesting. So, but wouldn't so that
0: technically I, be fasting?
1: It is fasting, 100%. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. And I recognize it, but it's to treat my ADHD, okay. not to treat my addiction. Okay. Got right. It. I think that as addicts, Especially food addicts, fasting should only be used to treat a medical condition.
0: Okay,
1: and for me, that's ADHD. Right, right. Because you're the, hearing fasting a lot now for weight loss. I mean, it's, fasting. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And I get the concept behind it, but you want to call it intermittent fasting? I could call it intermittent binging. So it's <laughs> you know, it, what's the difference? Right. Um, the difference is that I have fence posts. For that meal right right and and yes i am taking in 24 hours worth of food
0: in that right? window
1: and i and i int- right right within a couple hours okay it's it's a meal and then like maybe another little meal and what time um, do you open that window oh it's just the dinner time a dinner time okay yeah somewhere yeah. between four and six
0: I so you're literally not family's. consuming any calories like do you black drink coffee, coffee, black decaf coffee?
1: coffee. Yeah, okay. that's all right. Yeah.
0: And did you say decaf? No caffeine? Yeah, I
1: gave up caffeine. Wow. Let's see, I about six weeks after I gave up all the other stuff. Wow. Well, I was noticing that I needed more. Right. So I said, screw this. <laughs> right. Like I have a pattern here. Right. Um. I mean, I have addictive personality, you know what I mean? Like I have, I have the ism as they call it. Yeah. And that's the other thing I want to talk about, which is addiction interaction disorder. And it may be a terminology, terminology that a lot of folks aren't familiar with. And so a lot of people will say, and, and we talked about this before we started talking about like the crossover between food and hard substance and all that. So, um, I believe that people have addiction. I don't believe that people have sugar addiction or alcoholism or drug addiction. I believe that they have addiction. Right. Um, so I have one disease, right? I don't have, I don't have sugar addiction, alcoholism and drug addiction. I have addiction.
0: Okay.
1: But I have a number of outlets. Right. And they all work. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And, and I can switch seats on the Titanic all, all day, but guess what? <laughs> we hit an iceberg and it's it, sinking. So it doesn't sink. really matter. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that's addiction interaction disorder. Right. So I have multiple outlets, but one disease. Wow. I mean, I could go out, I could go out on caffeine.
0: Mm.
1: I could go out on sugar. I could yeah. go out on grains. I could go out on alcohol. Uh, I could go out on meds. I could go out on spending. shopping, yeah. fasting, spending, yeah. right? Debt. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, um, it's all the same. Yeah, It all makes me feel the same way. Yeah. So I think it's a matter of figuring out what our else. And yes, we have to tackle them one at a time. Yeah. I took three of them out at once because I knew I had to. Right. I knew if it, if it wasn't if if it wasn't the if the food came out, but the alcohol was there, the alcohol would take over.
0: Right.
1: If the alcohol came out, if the alcohol came out, the food would take over.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. And so I just knew that. I mean, what's alcohol made out of anyway? Food. Right. right. <laughs> so it's all Sugar. the same. And yeah. so, yeah. And so I think a lot of people think that they become alcoholic, they become drug addicted and in recovery, they're handed all this sugar. Right. And, and they're like, well, now I'm a sugar addict. Uh, No. Right. You were likely a sugar addict way before you became an alcoholic or a drug Mm -hmm. addict. Right. What's the onset of sugar. Yeah. Within the first week of life, if you're formula fed. Yeah. Or I mean, cake smashing at the first, but look at the cultural paradigm that we're living in right now. I mean, um, you know, so I think celebrate with sweets, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's so interesting. Why have so-
1: happiness when you can have pleasure? Yeah. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah. I love that. Why have happiness when you can have pleasure? Instant pleasure. Well, that's what addiction
1: is. Yeah. Right.
0: Instant pleasure. So let me get this straight and clear for anybody listening. Yeah. Go ahead. So. In terms of how you identify as an addict, you are an addict across the board. So it's not just alcohol. It's not just drugs. It's not just food. You believe fundamentally that it is something that you have inside and you give yourself a substance that kind of makes you feel other than you feel naturally and you will become addicted to it.
1: Yeah. Listen to this. I'll answer the question a little bit of roundabout way. There's a video with Eric Clapton. I think it's on 60 Minutes and he's being interviewed. Um, I don't know the fellow that's interviewing his name, but he, um, he says, so heroin was your first drug. And he's like, no, sugar. (laughs) He talks about when he was five years old, he was cramming bread and butter and sugar and down his throat, anything that would change the way he feels. And then you read Russell Brandt's book, his, his take on the 12 steps. Right. And he talks about the chocolate penguin wafers, like in kindergarten. Right. And so like, if we really look back and we're really honest, and I think recovery takes It doesn't take regular garden variety honesty. You know, it takes real honesty. Yeah. Um, You see that, that the, that sure came first. And so anyway, so my point is that Eric Clapton defines a drug as anything that changes the way I think or feel. Hmm. So think about that. That's very broad. Yeah. That's not just cocaine and opiates and alcohol. That's not what we're talking about anymore. We're talking about gaming. We're talking about sex. We're yeah. talking about relationships, compulsive helping, or some people refer to codependency. Like yeah. all that stuff changes the way I think or feel. Being in control of another person, using rage to manipulate other people or scare yeah. them. That's yeah. a drug. Those are all drugs. Yeah. So I have to be careful about all that stuff. It's hard work. Yeah, you have to be vigilant. And, yeah. and you only handle one outlet at a time. Right. Right, it's like whack-a-mole. You like you yeah. whack it down and it's going to pop up through another hole. It's just yeah. a matter of being really honest with yourself and um my my colleague Anna, she says um she's my business partner too. She said we have to tell the truth to ourselves about ourselves.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's hard. Yeah. Because
0: that's really hard. Cuz we
1: can totally mislead ourselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think sometimes we don't even know that we're lying to ourselves. I think there's a very oh no, deep no level right, level of and denial. Um, yeah,
1: there's that book, "Oh, the Places You Will Go" by Dr. Seuss. Yeah, when I work with addicts, I said that's not our book. The book, uh, the book is "Oh, the Lives We Tell Ourselves."
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: right, and that's yeah. true because denial is rampant. I mean, yeah. I'm so in denial. I don't know. Why I have denial. Mm. But then you put people in groups, in a circle or whatever whether it's in a zoom or in real life and someone else says something that you never would admit to in a million flipping years.
0: Yeah.
1: You can't help but sit there and nod. Yeah. Yeah. And be like me too. Yeah. And that's why we don't do work one-on-one. Yeah. Because it just enhances denial. Yeah. And I think that groups move people much faster forward. Wow. Um, and That's a perfect way of putting painful. it. Yeah. They yeah. do. They yeah. do. You grow through the other people, like yeah. because it's not just, you're aware, you're not just relying on your awareness, right? You're relying on everyone's awareness.
0: So I have a big million dollar question for you. And something that has always fascinated me about you is, the topic of weight. So I talk a lot about my weight, my struggles with weight, my up and down, yo-yoing on the sugar, off the sugar. And I'd say 95% of my friends, we're always talking about weight. Someone's on some type of paleo, right, keto, right. some type of diet or lifestyle. So now you stopped eating all of those foods that you mentioned earlier without a weight problem. So what do we say to the people who are struggling with their weight? And that's the primary focus. So they're not looking at it in terms. Like I had dinner with someone last night and I was eating a trout salad and she had a pizza and she was like, do you want a piece of my pizza? And I was like, no, I'm not going to open up that can of worms. It actually affects how I feel mentally. And she looked at me like I had three heads and she was like, what do you mean? And I was like, forget the weight part. I know exactly how I'm going to feel either immediately or tomorrow morning, but that notion didn't even kind of resonate with her. So basically my question is, if you weren't struggling with weight, how bad did the mental effects of the food have to be? And what do you say to people that are struggling with their weight? Well,
1: Let's look at it this way. Weight is a symptom. Weight's a symptom. Okay. It's just a symptom, right? It's not the disease. Your problem, if you're heavy, isn't that you're heavy. It's a consequence of the problem that you're heavy. So look at at it this way. People say diabetes is a disease. I don't think diabetes is a disease. I don't think high blood pressure is a disease. Uh, I don't think obesity is a disease their symptoms their consequences Mm -hmm. right because if i'm diabetic and i treat my blood sugar i'm still diabetic right but if i'm diabetic not type 2 right not type 1 right i'm talking about an autoimmune disease i'm talking about people who have basically created their own diabetes through the way that they've chosen to live or not chosen to in the case of addiction but if if i treat my blood sugar with insulin, I'm still diabetic. Right. But if I remove the need for insulin, I can remove the fact, the symptom of diabetes. Right. So I look at weight, like it's the same way. Weight is a metabolic consequence of providing the wrong fuel over a very long period of time. Whoa.
0: Can so, you say that again? Can you say that again? Slowly for yeah, anybody thank, listening? Weight,
1: weight is the consequence of providing the wrong fuel over a very long period of time. Hmm that's processed food. Yeah. Processed food is, is not designed for human consumption. It's not right. designed for any consumption. Right. Um, it's designed to change the way you think or feel. Right. right. Eric Clap's definition of a drug. Yeah. So, so like when you hear an ad on the radio, what are they selling you? Like say it's for Coke and you see it on the TV and they're all smiling and they're hugging and then the, yeah. Coke doesn't do that to you. Right. No.
0: Right. That's a lie. Yeah.
1: Coke yeah. gives you diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like then, so yeah. so I think so anyway. So by treating the addiction we treat the symptoms. Mm. It's root cause. We right. say it's primary. It's a primary illness. Comes right. first. Okay. So I just didn't have that consequence. Right. I was missing. I didn't have the consequence of weight. Of weight. Right. 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 I had a lot of other consequences. Just not that one. Right. So through that paradigm, I think it's easy to understand that there's a lot of thin people that are likely addicted. Yeah. Um, and just because they're not heavy doesn't mean their life's going well. Do you know any unhappy thin people? Yes, I do. Yeah. How yes. how that happened?
0: Yeah. Yes, I do. It's just not about the weight. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so I think, and granted, the majority of my clientele is female. Yeah. Right. And here I am going to try to convince a female not to be concerned with their weight. Right. Like good luck. Right. Right. But right. literally, I tell people this all the time, the number on the scale is an objective res- representation of the force you exert back on the Earth's surface. Okay. It's a number yeah. that displays the amount of force you push back on, what, on where you're stepping.
0: Yeah. Never heard it put like but that before. Why,
1: why is it carry so much meaning? It's just completely useless, arbitrary number that doesn't mean anything. Right. And so I think it's a terrible measure. Like if you're going to measure yourself, you're just a tape measure.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and, and like be gentle folks. Yeah. I mean, you did not get to be the way that you are overnight. Yeah. This has been years and years and years of self-destruction. Yeah. So I think we need to have some grace. Yeah. And realize that we are not going to move mountains magically, you know? Yeah. Um. And then, you know, I, I hear things from my own personal recovery journey that I carry with me. And that was like, like, for instance, I can expect my higher power to move a mountain, but I'm going to show up with a shovel, right? Like I'm going to do the work. It's not going to be pretty. Um, I'm going to have to sweat. I'm going to get blisters. I'm going to do all this stuff, but it's going to be worth it. Yeah. And sometimes the world just provides us with amazing results. Right. Like I'm talking to a woman who's a former, she's in our community she's a former crack addict um she's i don't know what her weight is but she's she's not a small woman right um she has a sleep apnea machine she was waking up every hour to pee and therefore every hour to eat um Mm. you know and so do we expect that this woman is just going to get off of their CPAP machine and all of a sudden she's going to be in a normal sized body and all of a sudden she's going to have tons of energy and all of a sudden No. no no Absolutely not. So yeah. it's really funny because people who will ask me like, um, well, what would you do in this situation? And they give me some crazy situation that they're struggling with in their recovery. And I'll be like, okay, let's flip it. I come to you and I present you the exact same scenario. What would you tell me? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, I tell you this, this, and this. And I said, oh, that's interesting. You couldn't just tell yourself that, right? Because yeah. we can't. can't yeah. see it. No, so much easier. But it's to like, what would you tell else? a friend? Yeah. But then all of a sudden they have all the answers. Yeah. Because what's out of the way? Their yeah. ego. Yeah. Their sense of pride, all yeah. that stuff. And, can, and they can, they can see us, beyond the disease. Which is can empowering. you give us an
0: example of what, for people listening, because I, I, I want people to identify, you know, whether or not they're food or their eating patterns are affecting them so not necessarily how you feel mentally but can you give us a visual of what maybe a typical sugar binge would have looked like for you like is it a certain amount of food are you buying certain types of food is it ice cream is it pizza is it candy like what would a typical binge look like for you in the past
1: oh god I don't know um I mean it starts with something and it ends with something else I mean it could have been I mean, it could have been like crackers to chips, to gummies, to juice, to, or it could be the complete opposite. I I just, I guess I found out that, um, well, it's not about the food, yeah, but it's about the food until it's not about the food. Right. So, I mean, like we say that recovery is like five to 10% about the food, right? Five to 10%. But like Mm -hmm. when you're starting, yeah. It seems different. like the 90%, right? Yeah. It seems like this is all I can deal with. It's all I can think about. It's just like, God, get me to my next meal yeah. and let it not be filled with drugs. Yeah. Um, you know, and, yeah. and but then you get through withdrawal. You get through post-acute withdrawal if you have it, you yeah. know, and you're at your six month mark or wherever. And, 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 you know, it's not about the food anymore. Right. It's like, cause um, you know how to handle it. You know, right. like what to do. You know what, and even more importantly, you know what not to do. Right. Um, so I think it's hard. But I think I think that some people like my mom will say things like she's like munch and crunch and mush and gush and savory and <laughs> sour and sweet. Like this is like her vernacular. Right. Right. Because um, my mom's a down to dirty food addict. I mean, like she's a gutter drunk with food. Right. So, <laughs> you know, and so she kind of she's got that. We have this thing called the trigger free food triangle It's guilt, debate and romance. And so. If your food makes you feel guilty, you probably shouldn't eat it. If you debate about whether you should or shouldn't eat it, which we talked about earlier the debate, right? And then the romance, like, do you long for it? Is it like a rendezvous, with you, like your secret lover, right? Wow. These are terminologies that addicts get.
0: Can you repeat those three things slower so yeah. people can know them? Yeah, yeah. Debate
1: yep. is like whether you think or like you're you're like, oh, should I or should not go down the potato chip aisle? Like, oh, shoot. Right? Okay. And then guilt is like, I've eaten the chips and I'm like, oh, damn it. I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. I feel like a piece of doo-doo. Yeah. Like, why did I, I knew I, I shouldn't have bought that. I shouldn't have put it in my car. I shouldn't have put it in my mouth. Right. Right. And then romance is like the longing. It's almost think about it like it's a romantic enterprise. Yeah. Like it's like a secret affair it's like a rendezvous it's like you go out and you get the food you procure the food and then you eat it in your car and then you throw it yeah yeah I know and then you throw the wrappers in a public trash can so no one else finds it or you like lift up some stuff in your trash and you put it beneath it like these are all things I did like (laughs) I'm the
0: queen of that one
1: (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. so the trash sorter you know yeah I mean so that and so if a food elicits any of those three things guess what it's a trigger. Hmm. It's going to lead you somewhere where you do not willingly want to go. Right. Right. Using wow. against your will. I love that. Right? I love that. I'm going to note that. So, down. And, and then alcohol. Yeah, sure. It hits my triangle too.
0: Hmm.
1: So do other substances. So I'm just really clear to myself that if any of those three things and most of your drug foods are going to likely hit all three. Right. You're going to debate whether you should or shouldn't eat it. You're going to feel guilty after you eat it. And it's going to be a romantic enterprise to it some sort of longing, some sort of rendezvous.
0: So, now what about the people listening who, and, and you'll see this, well, I see it all over social media now in different accounts and also speaking to eating disorder therapists. So, I have the million dollar question of moderation. So now, do you believe that you have to be or identify as an addict, as you mentioned before, to have a sugar addiction? Or do you believe that people who maybe aren't addicted to alcohol or other things can have solely a sugar addiction? Yeah, they could. They could.
1: Yeah, it's just not. It, it's just like if they actually did the research, it's just probably not that likely. But, right. um, you know, they're going to find some of that stuff. Right. It might not be substance. Right. Um, it might be more behavior, more of the process on the process addiction side, but if people ask me, like talk about moderation. I tell them that moderation is a great mythical unicorn. I, I don't know anyone that can moderate in reality. Right. If you really look at the facts on the ground, I mean, like my dad can like eat a potato chip and then like walk away, but like, that's not normal. Right. Like, in, in all extent, um, we are probably have the normal brains as addicts. Right. Like we're the ones that were hardwired to survive. Like we are driven. Like if you chased, if you chase your recovery with 5% of what you chased your drug with, you'll be fine. Right. It, you know, and, and I think addicts are really driven, driven people. We have inertia. Like we were the people back back in the day we like, come on, Ralph, let's go get an antelope. Like we would right. just do that. We'd be like, come on, we're almost out of berries. Let's go. You know? Like, so we're <laughs> yeah. really like, Yeah, we're like really into action. And I think we've probably perpetuated the survival of the human race to a large extent. You know, Hmm. most people. I think that have propelled our society forward likely had an addicted brain, Um, whether that was the substance or not is another story. But, you know, they have a very sensitive reward center. And that sensitivity enables us to capture nuance, which is which is really important for survival.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm sure you've been asked this before, or maybe kind of gotten into a healthy debate, but what about the professionals or people who look at removing a substance completely like sugar as the ultimate setup for failure? So people who believe that, you know, for example, I know an eating disorder psychologist who teaches cognitive behavior therapy. She has clients eat a small dessert after every meal because her theory is that as long as you give yourself a little bit each day or however many times a week, you won't go into a full-blown binge. So what do you think about that idea of, of too strict of a restriction?
1: Okay, so here's the problem. If you treat addiction like it's an eating disorder, you fail.
0: Okay. What do you mean if by you that?
1: Treat eating, it doesn't work. Okay. Like, okay. You're an addict. You said you were right. Yeah. Okay. You have a dinner. It's clean. No problems. You have a candy bar. Fun size. It's a little, no big deal.
0: What happens? Doesn't, I want 40 more fun sized candy bars.
1: Okay. And then what happens the next day?
0: I'll eat pancakes probably for breakfast.
1: Okay. And then what happens?
0: Mm, Whatever I want for lunch. It's huge Mm. snowball for me.
1: Right. You're done. Yeah. Listen to this. The highest you will ever be in your entire life is the first time you take the drug. You cannot ever re-replicate it. You will be chasing that high for the rest of your life. Yeah. That's brain science. It's brain chemistry. You cannot re-replicate it. Right. If you've ever seen the picture of the little girl with the ice cream, and she literally takes the ice cream and then she digs her fingers into the ice cream, <laughs> and like her poor little baby fingers must be freezing. But she is she and she pulls it right into her face. If you haven't seen this video, guys, you got to see this. That's addiction. Yeah. Right. And and yeah. And so someone who's an addict will never, ever, 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 ever heal their brain if the mm. drug doesn't go away. Mm. That's what I want to do. I want to heal your brain. Right. Um, I don't right. want to make it comfortable right. for you to just take the drug, you know, here and there. Got it. Because when the addict drugs, the addict suffers. Yeah. All they can think about is the next fix, the next fix, the next fix. They're not living their life. Yeah. And so when, when, in, and you put addicts in eating disorder treatment centers, oh, it's it's just, it's ugly. It's ugly yeah, because the treatment isn't right. And so that's why we do the sugar tool, which helps us evaluate. Is it harmful use or is it addiction?
0: Right.
1: And honestly, if I did clinical use clinical criteria for food addiction, like based on the DSM or the ICD-10 for substance abuse. Oh, my goodness. Eighty five percent of the population would probably yeah. meet yeah. criteria for sure, you know, for sure. Um, and that's for clinical criteria for substance abuse disorder.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So That's now do you think scary. that there are some people though, who would benefit out of that type of eating disorder treatment? So that moderation or whatever they're teaching, do you believe yeah, for that the there's... people
1: that can moderate?
0: Okay. Okay. So there are certain folks maybe that can moderate and then certain folks that you're guaranteed that cannot touch sugar or process carbohydrates safely.
1: Well, I think it's a matter of what happens when they do. Right. Cause you definitely can't moderate. God, I God have I tried.
0: Be. I try so hard. I try so, so, so very hard.
1: I know yeah. you wanted to be a moderator so bad. So bad. You wanted so, to two years ago.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I really, yeah. uh, yeah. But something really different happens when I eat sugar actually on that topic. Do you eat fruit? Like, do you have like, like strawberries and grapes and honey or is that all out for you too?
1: I wouldn't. I mean, I have a little kid who eats them. So right. yes, I eat them, but, right. um, I don't. I would prefer not to. Yeah. Okay. Put it that way for me. And what about and your? There are fam- people that definitely can't. Right. Go ahead.
0: And do your family members? So your adorable daughters and your wife? Do they safely eat sugar that you can't? Oh, there have? are
1: foods in this house that I have no business touching. Okay. Yeah, Got absolutely. it. My, this is not a drug-free zone. Got it. Um. For and is that hard for you? Not anymore. Not anymore. Okay. Because I like like I'll open my pantry like three times a day still. Yeah. But it's just like, it's just like you open it. Oh, this isn't for me. Yeah. And I close it. Wow. It's not my food. So, wow. um, but I also know the consequences of what happens when I do that, when I put one of those things in my mouth, what's going to happen to my sense of calm, my yeah. ability to be a father, my ability to be a good partner, to be, yeah. you know, just to be present. It's yeah. gone. Because yeah. all I'm thinking about, like, I, the first thing I want to know during the day is like, what's for dinner? It's like, so I totally it's, relate. Like, in, it's like that's like in 12 hours, Dave. Yeah. You know, it's like so ridiculous. becomes an
0: obsession. Yep. Yep, yeah. Yeah. Sure. for sure. And so
1: but that's even that's even off of drugs. Like, it's yeah. just it's, you know, it's just silly. And so I've just come to a position in my life that if A happens, B will happen. If A doesn't happen, B won't happen. And A is me eating something that triggers me because if I do that, I will always need more. Yeah. But if I don't eat it, I won't need more. Yeah. So I think.
0: And I wonder how many people are going to relate to this episode because I surely relate, you know, but I've talked to people about this and they think that I have three heads, you know, and they're like, just eat a little bit and get over it, which just doesn't happen for me. So my final question for you. So the booze is gone. The sugar has gone. The carbs are gone. And you talked about happiness and joy earlier. So I ha I hear a lot of people saying, well, if I give up that, then what do I have left? Or I'm sober. There's no way I'm going to give up the food too. So what do you say to people who say that, or where do you get your happiness or pleasure from now?
1: I get my happiness from life.
0: Okay.
1: Um, I mean, you know, the way when I go in, I greet my daughter first thing in the morning and she wants blue cheese. I mean, it's just adorable. It's like, (laughs) why does this girl want blue cheese too? Um, (laughs) And, and, you know, I, you know, or, or the way that, um, you know, just the way that my watching my wife interact with my children, is beautiful. It's Mm -hmm. just beautiful, you know, and that to be able to witness like that amount of love on a daily basis is like such a gift. These were all things I missed. I mean, um, you know, pleasure isn't happiness. Mm
0: -hmm. They're
1: instinctively different things. Yeah. Now, pleasure is a surge of dopamine happiness is like contentment and joy and just being present and and being able to handle anything no matter what and just yeah. staying calm and and yeah. so all those things I can have so it's like people say like I gave up this one thing so I can have everything mm. or I could keep this one thing and I could lose everything yeah I love that it's one just the way I, I just just the way I look at it so I think I find joy and happiness in the silliest things in like running a group and watching someone have a breakthrough, mm. you know, or, or someone letting their guard down and being deeply vulnerable. You a woman share about her adoption It's probably a woman in her early sixties the other day. Mm. And she just like, she's just like bawling her eyes out. Like yeah. that makes me happy. Yeah. She's growing.
0: Yeah. I'm
1: part of that growth today. Yeah. I can be a facilitator in helping someone achieve like their next level. Um, I don't know. I just like, I just try to be happy. You know, it's like, like me today, having a good day is a non-negotiable. It's a non-negotiable. There are aspects of my recovery. Like every night before I go to bed, I do my review. It's a non-negotiable. So if I don't do that, I don't know how I'm doing. Right. It's the same thing. Like I'm going to have a good day today. It's a non-negotiable. Yeah. And so I think it's a mindset thing. I think it's if we embrace life and in all its challenges. Hmm.
0: Um, so what do you think you can leave listeners with as one simple uh, maybe tip or trick that they can start with, right? I know a lot of people struggling this right now, especially through COVID, the binge eating. What's, what's one simple thing you could leave them with to start the with? The
1: first thing I have to do is tell you that we are running a five-day challenge on the 21st of March. Ooh. It's totally free. All you have to do is you go to five day crush your cravings challenge.com and then we'll take care of the rest. All you got to do is show up. Okay. Okay, So that's the first way. And the first tip to get started is to do it with a bunch of people and you'll have momentum and inertia. (laughs) Okay. The next thing I would do is find the foods in your house that have sugar, grains, or seed oils in them. Mm. Identify how pervasive they are Mm. in your let say call it your eating culture, your eating paradigm, whatever. They're yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Like to the point where you're gonna have a hard time finding foods that don't have them that aren't a single ingredient. That sure. like isn't a piece it's of It's scary. You're, yeah. It is scary. And these yeah. foods are toxic. Yeah. Toxic. Like they're saying now that seed oils can stay in your system up to two years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Not
0: healthy, not healthy.
1: No. So so what's the first thing you can do? Honestly, if, if I were to tell you one thing, it was like find one other person that's like you. Okay. One other person. One other person. So you're not alone. Okay. Because this is a lonely business. Oh, you yeah. gotta stay connected. Connection oh, yeah. is your best protection. We say yeah. that all the time. Yeah. You gotta find some sort of connection with someone like it. And I meet people all the time, they're like they're like, there are other people like me. I'm like, mm. there are millions of them, millions. Oh, yeah. So many you people struggling with food. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so you'll and send
0: me the link to that uh, That five-day I'll send time. you the link. And then the, yeah. and
1: then, then the other thing is- um, honestly i think the best way to get started is we just created an ebook it's called the crush your cravings checklist and it gives you a checklist it gives you links it'll link to the baby in the ice cream video it'll link to robert lustig mm-hmm. talking about children it will link to eric the eric clapton quote it will link to all that stuff all in one place yeah. and you cool. can find that again at sugar and i'll send you that and i think that's the best way to get started because yeah. we're finding that the people that do this yeah they get inertia and they get yeah. momentum and they get moving And now if
0: anybody wanted to contact you personally, you have a website or what's the best way to contact? Yeah. The
1: best, the best thing to do is to, um, yeah, I'm on Twitter at um, Dave um, SRX. I think it's Dave Wolf SRX. I'm very active on Twitter. Um, On Facebook, SugarX Global is, is, is our platform. And also SugarXGlobal.com, same place. You can reach, you can reach us there and, you can hop on our newsletter and, and get access mm-hmm. to all our free offerings. We do, we do, I run, we run two groups a week that are totally free and public access. Wow. One on Thursdays, which is more recovery format. And then a clubhouse room with Jen Unwin, um, who we helped write her book, uh, The Fork of the Road. So
0: um, there's so definitely awesome. a lot of
1: interchanging way to interact. And you could get on a one-on-one call with any of the three of us. We'd be more than happy to kind of figure out where you're at and where you want to go. And if we can help you get you there, cool. If we can't, we'll definitely send you to someone that can.
0: David, you're, you're amazing. I could talk to you. You're just like a wealth of knowledge. I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of questions, people wanting to know more, you know, I, all of these podcasts I'm doing, I could easily turn into six hour podcasts, but I will have you I back. Know. We'll I'm, talk about some more love stuff. To be back. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much. Maybe I'll bring you. some
1: friends. Yeah.
0: Do it, do it. Group podcast. Yeah. I love it. You know, yeah. and all of those links that you have, I'm going to attach them. I love awesome. especially free services, too, are so amazing. So thank you for taking the time to be we here have to get today. back.
1: Yeah, I mean, people, people stopped what they were doing. Yeah. I asked a guy to help me five years ago. He said the weirdest thing to me. He said, I'd love to. And I was like, <laughs> what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> and then he, they help you. And then yeah. all you want to do is do the same thing. So when someone asked me to help them, i love to. I, I love would. It. I would love to. So love and anyone, I'd, I'd just be more than happy to speak with you.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone for listening and supporting Living Out Loud. Be sure to tune in next week for another fun, juicy episode.